0: It's Eugene Driscoll of ValleyIndy.org. Welcome to Naval Gazing, the Valley Indy podcast. This is an introduction to this week's episode, during which we interview Tarek Raslin, the Democrat running for mayor in the city of Ansonia. And this podcast is meant to be a profile of Tarek. A profile is what newspapers run in the weeks leading up to an election. It's often on Sundays. That's an article that doesn't necessarily dive into the finer political points of the given candidate's platform, but it attempts to flesh out the candidate as a human being, concentrating on important events in the person's life, you know, basically who they are, where they come from, and why they decided uh, to run for office. So that's exactly what this episode is about. Our goal, as always, is to build an informed electorate. You should know who's running for mayor, and we're extremely lucky to be in a position. Where we can bring a candidate to you in their own words for about an hour and i say all this because it's 2017 and the country is so polarized politically and i have this sense that in this climate this national climate something like this will just be labeled a bias puff piece that we're basically in the candidate's pocket so i just wanted to state our intentions before we get into the actual interview. And finally, I'll just note for the record, we have reached out to Ansonia Mayor David Cassetti to do a similar interview. Cassetti, by the way, is the incumbent in this race, and the man you're about to hear is the challenger. So after that basic civics lecture, I apologize if I sound condescending, but I think it's important to do. On with the
1: show.
2: Hello, my name is Ethan Fry, and I'm a reporter from ValleyIndy.org. And you're listening to Valley Navalgazing, the Valley Indies podcast. Joining me is my editor, Eugene Driscoll. Hello, Eugene. Hi, Ethan. And our guest this week is Tarek Raslan, the Democratic Party's nominee for mayor of the city of Ansonia. Tarek is challenging two-term Republican incumbent David Cassetti. Tarek, thanks so much for coming in to talk to us.
1: Thank you very much. Hello, Antonia. And uh,
2: I am pronouncing your first name somewhat. Yeah, correctly. you got it. I
1: say to people, um, like you know, don't worry, you'll get you'll you'll get it by the end of the election. Tarek. Okay. <laughs> Tarek Crest.
2: Uh, all right, and then again, thank you so much uh, for coming in to talk to us. And I guess just first, uh, you know, by way of background, uh, you know, tell us like, where were you, where and when were you uh, born?
1: Yeah. So uh, born and raised in Stamford, Connecticut. Um, spent my life there until I was about uh, 20 years old. Um, went to public schools growing up. Uh, didn't actually uh, graduate from public school, which is a story we can get into, but um, uh, ended up going to uh, university in, in uh, Boston at Northeastern University and, uh, and moved around a whole bunch, actually. But, uh, yeah, landed here in Ansonia. Uh, about two and a half years ago now, my wife Tamsin and I moved here. Um, and we've been here since.
2: And like, what's your family by? Do you have any siblings? What did your parents do?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I'm one of five kids. So I've got, uh, three brothers and a sister. Where age wise, Um, where do you, yeah, I'm right smack in the middle. So I've got uh, two younger brothers, an older sister and an older brother. So I got the, the middle child syndrome. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm, <laughs> the, young, I'm the youngest, so
2: I'm have been spoiled all my life, I guess. Mm. But uh, yeah, middle is interesting. All the hand me down clothes, right? <clears throat> yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> uh, and like, what did your parent? What did your parents do? Like,
1: mm-hmm. uh, yeah. So my mother was um, uh, raised all five of us, which you can imagine is um, uh, quite the management mm-hmm. skill in and of itself um she was a nurse actually by by background but when uh when my oldest brother was born she left the profession and um and raised all of us and now she actually years later went back to school uh, bless her and um got her degree got her master's degree and went is now a licensed practicing social worker in connecticut and um and my father uh has been real estate broker and developer in new york city since 1989 he owns a company called IT Properties, which I work with him now as vice president.
2: Okay, and that's based like a real estate uh, company based in New York City? New York
1: City, yep. Manhattan specifically, wow. yeah.
2: And it like... I gotta ask. I guess, like, have you have you guys ever dealt with Trump or any of his? Not to make this whole podcast about <laughs> Trump, but uh, we, I'm just curious. We we,
1: we could have uh, we we could have taken bets how soon um, Trump could have entered <laughs> into this conversation. Let's just divide everybody <laughs> <laughs> right off the bat. Uh, well, we got plenty of time to talk about. But yeah, the answer is yes. Um, yeah, and uh, this is the thing I try to tell people. You know, uh, regardless of where you feel policy wise. Um, Uh, you know what? I won't even go there, but yes, we (laughs) had, we had, uh, we had, we had dealings with Trump,
0: but you, I mean, and we we were, we were doing some expert Googling yesterday, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, your, your father and that company, they're they're a mover and shaker in New York city. Yeah. Um,
1: uh, you know, it properties done over a billion dollars in transactions over the course of its lifetime. Um, specializing in high-end residential condo development, uh, over there, um, we're not builders, we're developers. So just to put that in context, I mean, you know, builders, you're doing construction. Um, In New York City, that's a whole different beast. Uh, We're not in that game. We're mostly in the investment realm of real estate in New York City. Um, uh, IT Properties was a key equity partner in the development of uh, Lincoln Center or Lincoln Square right around Columbus Circle. Um, So when you talk about what we do in new york city there's sort of a retail brokerage operation there but you know specializing in you know sort of properties that are five million dollars and more like high-end properties and uh we have a property management business there um and then you know large-scale fundraising syndication for large developments yep
2: and then like yeah i i worked like 10 years ago for a, a trade magazine that dealt about commercial real estate and it's like, that's New York city. It's like comparable to London. Like real estate is one of the safest investments Yeah, in, in there is pretty yeah. much so like there's, there's always a lot of,
1: it sort of gets treated. Um, you know, I was in, uh, the banking, banking world for a while and, uh, New York city real estate gets kind of treated as an, as an asset class unto itself. It's one of those, uh, boxes that you have to tick when you're diversifying your portfolio, it sort of behaves like gold in a way.
2: And then, uh, you mentioned it earlier, but it, like, uh, in a, you know, you also mentioned it in a guest column that we ran on uh, dot org earlier this month. Um, you know, you, you sort of left school and then like came back to it and uh, like, how, how did that all come about and how did, how did that, uh, you know, influence you as, as a person sort of growing up?
1: Yeah, it's been huge. I mean, um, uh, it's, it's, uh, I, I, I refer to it as a, as a superpower now, but growing up as a kid- Let um, me just interrupt for a How yeah. old are you, Tarek? 31. 31. Yeah. Um, I had an abundant amount of energy, I think, ever since I came into this world. And um, uh, going into an environment in school where you're required to sit still for <laughs> a good number of hours during the day um, didn't always jive too well with me. Um, I always loved the work but uh, just the environment um, was difficult. And I got to about 16 years old when I was in high school um, and wasn't really an environment where I felt like I could succeed to the fullest of my potential and had to sort of grapple with that situation because there's the obvious sort of warnings and and statistics that you see all around, uh, all around the country, which is that, you know, if you leave, you, ha- you, you have to go through, finish school, graduate high school, go to college. Um, and if you don't do those things, then you're you know, X percent more likely to uh, get involved in crime, X percent likely to not earn as much money. Uh, and so it was a decision that had to grapple with together with my parents and, uh, and which the, obviously they were very anxious and reluctant to, uh, to try to go along with it. But um, after a lot of discussion, Uh, we got to the point where I agreed, I I committed to them that I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't just be floundering. I'd get a job, I'd get my GED, um, and continue on along that track, but I needed to change environments, uh, to a place where I can kind of utilize the skills that I had. And, um, it's made all the difference to be honest with you, because the moment, you know, life is sort of set up in a way where, uh, it's, 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 life is much easier when you go along a sort of predefined track. And the moment you deviate from that, it's quite hard to sort of get back there. Um, and so, uh, I think my whole life since then has been an exercise in trying to carve my own path. And, um, it's, 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 it's fun, but it means that you have to, I think, work that much harder. Um, and you need to be there are less people there that are able to guide you because you're not taking the traditional steps. And so it means that you need to be um, looking out ahead of you, visualizing what it is that you're trying to achieve and figuring out all of the in-between steps to get from where you are uh, to where you want to be. And um, <clears throat> I mean, it's also taught me, uh, you know, because as a high school dropout, essentially, uh, we, we all too often put like to put, everything into boxes, into categories of things. And so, um, you know, there's, there are the prejudices and stereotypes that you, you come up against. And so anytime you want to try to do something differently, um, you'll always butt up against that. And so uh, it taught me that very frequently in this, in this world, um, there are people and places and things that are undervalued uh, and, and whose potential goes completely untapped. And uh, I think my own experience in life has been a, de- a an exercise for me to see, you know, what is the value that I see within me, what is the potential that I see within me, uh, and 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 what is it that's uh, blocking others from seeing that, trying to overcome that. So, so
0: you negotiated to drop out of high school with your parents. Yeah,
1: yeah, because I I don't I don't know how exactly the legalities of it, but I believe yeah, you need your you need parental consent. Yeah,
0: uh, and I would. I mean, I'm just reflecting upon like my own high school years, and that's uh, that's flying blind. I mean, how concerned were your parents? Were you failing out? Were you on the verge of failing out? And you just said, did they tell you like you're gonna have to be in school for the next ten years to get your your, your diploma, and or like what was going on exactly? No,
1: it was just uh, you know, I, yeah, there were there were at the time that the, the high school, um, had an absence policy. And so I was in violation of that, uh, that absence policy, which is a, is a default, um, uh, failure.
0: Um, what did your father say? How did he take the news?
1: You know, I don't really recall. I mean, education is so important to him. Um, you know, all of my siblings, uh, have gone through college. It was, you know, growing up that was, uh, you know, there was nothing. There was nothing more important than education to my father, and so you know, he'd go to the to the ends of the world to make sure that we had all of those kinds of opportunity. And um, so, yeah, it, it it wasn't easy by by any means. Yeah, That's were you like sort the the black sheep of the? Oh, the, definitely, okay, yeah. Like the <laughs> Because i mean, like, and, but that, I, and I had to work. Yeah, let me work just hard. ask you another, yeah.
0: another question. Because I'm looking back again to my own high school experiences. Yeah, I yeah, grew up that's in Somers, really New York. Relates to, and yeah. there was always, there was always like one or two kids who would go to, like they wouldn't tr- finish the traditional schooling. I remember there was this program called Walkabout where they'd like you know, they do hippie stuff. They go out and, you know, yeah, yeah, we had, they're like, all fine. The, al- the alternative high school, we called it. Well, yeah. we had we had an alternative oh, high okay. school, which like that I was borderline for that, where the kids who just weren't doing anything academically. But then there were the kids who were, you know, some th- I don't know, somehow they'd get into these weird hippie artist type. High school mm, okay. uh, situations. Where, where are you, was are your families? Come on. Are your? I mean, but, but I, I. I don't. Is was your family sort of uh, very progressive in their thinking that oh, Tarek's gonna going he'll be fine. No, no. I way, think they were. were they? I think
1: they were genuinely worried. But because um, how, how did your father
0: yeah. come up through uh, the ranks and establish like his business? Um, Generally speaking, I guess because yeah. that's a whole other thing. That's a, but that's a I, very
1: long story. <laughs> but uh, I mean, he started off uh, uh, in a. He, he's a civil engineer by trade, as a matter of fact. And so he started off building himself, uh, you know, again, as a designer, not as an actual uh, contractor technician. Um, and the story goes that uh, that he was going after a contract for he was trying to get the design contract for a building. And my father uh, is, is from the Middle East. He is uh, born in Syria and uh, grew up in Lebanon most of his life. Um, when uh, did he come over to the States? In the seventies. Yeah. The 70s. So um my mother is uh American born, uh many generations. I'm Irish, Hungarian, and German on uh on my mother's side and she grew up in Ohio and uh, the small or not so small, about fifty thousand people town. It's called Lorraine, Ohio. It's a, uh, an old steel town. Um, and she met my father, and, and, uh, and actually both of them were living in, in uh, Lebanon at the time. She had never wow. uh, left the country before that. Um, and so that was her first experience. And uh, it was, uh, from my understanding, it was a wonderful experience all the way up until Civil War broke out, yeah, yeah. And, um, and they hightailed out of there.
2: <laughs> yeah, I was going to like, Syria and Lebanon, those are, I mean it's obvious that those are places in the news even to this day and like you know yeah
1: it's uh you know there's uh bits and pieces of time where uh lebanon anyway uh, has had some peace but you know it's such a it's hard to put it in scale um because you, you, know, so you just see it on the map and you hear these different countries but i mean all of these places are very close to each other yeah, and yeah. the size and of they, Lebanon like, is smaller than Connecticut. So. Yeah. I've never <laughs> been to either, but like they
2: say, Beirut and, and Damascus, you know, in, in more peaceful times are two of the, the, you know, nicest cities in the world. And, yeah. You know, well, it's just, and it's, it's a shame because I've never yeah. been
1: able to, uh, to, to visit either of them, you know, and I, I just, you know, me growing up in the United States, maybe my sense of uh, safety and perception of safety is different, but, um, But yeah you know lebanon former french mandate beautiful um sort of colonial looking structures over there um my father went to american university in beirut which kind of planted a seed in his head that this was the dream that he wanted to be here um coming out of school and um and yeah it's a it it is a shame damascus you know being one of the oldest continuously inhabited civilizations in in, in uh human history and um and it was actually you know, uh, it was, it was doing pretty well actually mm-hmm. before things, uh, flared up over there, but, uh, say la vie.
2: Yeah. And, and like, I don't know, it's, it's, you know, there's like the stereotype of like the, the, like even going back to like before, uh, generation, like going back to like the Italian immigrants and Irish women, mm. I like there's the stereotype of like, you know, the, the immigrant work ethic and then stuff like that. And then like that cla- like did that, you know, with the path you wanted to take out of school, did that like clash? Yeah, with that's your, what I was going. Uh, his your dad, fathers, you know? his dad comes over here with the American <laughs> yeah, dream, pulls literally. Us up by bootstraps, and then, you know, <laughs> makes makes
0: a, yeah. a name for himself, of builds a big company. Like, it is a stereotype, so. And then the kid probably, in the middle yeah. drops out of high school. That's kind of like right.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, um, I mean, this, in in fact, actually, our lives have tracked each other fairly well um, beyond that, and my my own story is sort of that. Um, you know, my, 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 my father's family was, wasn't poor, um, growing up. So, you know, it wasn't like they came from nothing mm-hmm, kind of mm-hmm. thing. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, he's got probably the best work ethic of anybody I've ever met. Um, and, uh, I, I guess it makes it easier when you, when you love what you do, but, you know, he's, uh, even now he's, um, 67 years old and still going strong. So, yeah.
2: And then like you, you, in that column you wrote, uh, you said that you grew up on the motocross track. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Talk about how, like, wh- mm-hmm. how'd you get drawn to that and get involved? Like, wh- what was that like?
1: Yeah. I was a little adrenaline junkie ever since I was, you know, I could, anything that moved, I, I was a fan of as a kid, um, grew up riding bikes. And, uh, the moment my, uh, my long time, my best friend, Aaron, uh, and I were able to rub our pennies together mowed enough lawns and uh we both went in on a, a 1989 xr80 and we rode that thing into the ground um but yeah grew up riding mountain bikes downhill mountain biking uh motocross uh at 12 years old i wanted nothing more than to be jeremy mcgrath <laughs> and um yeah so we spent not, i'm sure people will get that yeah, reference but <laughs> i have no idea like I know, uh, I know a lot about
2: yeah european soccer
1: <laughs> so jeremy mcgrath was the michael jordan of he Modic- had the number one plate Is he had the number okay. one plate for a I've long seen, time uh, on any yeah.
2: sunday so that, that's uh, yeah
1: yeah there's all those those good ones so yeah i spent summers um, working on bikes and building dirt bike tracks in the backyard and uh love being outside yeah so and then um, yeah growing up Uh, As I got older, started racing, got involved in uh, AMA-sanctioned race circuit over in uh, New York City called District 34 Metropolitan Sports Committee, and um, I was a uh, registered AMA novice rider. used to ride a uh, a YZ125 Yamaha. Did you want to... I don't well my
0: only question was like getting back to when you left high school what did you immediately do I mean obviously you oh, yeah. you, you 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 wound up in college so yep. it wasn't like you took a worked, decade to get here it worked your, out yeah yeah it, mm. w- it wasn't I, w- what was the first thing you mm. did uh you know after Yeah disenrolling um, is that is that a word yeah, leaving the, high school what would you leaving
1: do Leaving high school yeah withdraw Um the first thing I did is I started looking for work um and yeah, I was serious, and my parents were very serious about um, you know. And, and it wasn't me. I was. I've never shied away from a hard job in my life. And in fact, um, I had I had gone to work earlier in, in my life when I was 13. I went out, and uh, my uncle owns a um, a concrete company out in Lorain, Ohio. And I and when I, it was the year I became a man. When I was this summer, when I was 13, I went out and uh, worked on the road crew, uh, pouring. Pouring roads, uh, concrete roads, in, in Lorraine, and um, so I've never sh- I've never shied away from a hard job. It was just a matter of trying to find an environment where I could I could succeed to the to the best of my potential. And so, um, you know, it wasn't sort of a scenario where I'm sort of looking to get out of school and and slouch around and play video games. Um, uh, so I went I, I, I immediately started ser- searching for work, and um, and I, f- I landed a job with a uh, with a heating and air conditioning company um, as an apprentice um, down in Stamford, Connecticut, and so I was doing that during the day, and I got a job with a, uh, a local pizza place um, at night, and so that's when you know I, the, the hustle really began uh, when I was 16 for me because I'd sort of I'd get up at 5:30 in the morning, uh, head over to the shop at at six, and um, you know I check out of there at sort of six o'clock. And go over to the pizza place grab a slice of pizza for dinner and i'd be there until eleven thirty 30 at night and i'd do that pretty much seven days a week um and that continued on for two years which i really loved and you know being being on a job site you, you can learn a lot about life and i'll never forget one of the one of the um the mentors if you will uh one day he said to me on the job site he said uh, you know when you're on the job site don't just do what you're you're told. Don't just do your job. Look around. Um, and he used the phrase, he said, steal with your eyes. Look what the electrician's doing. Look what the plumber's doing. There's a lot going on here that you can learn from. And so, you know, always keep your eyes open. And um, and it's funny. I mean, he, pr- he probably thought nothing of it, but it actually really made some sort of epiphany in my mind because um, at that moment I was looking around the world and saying, uh, you know, you can pretty much learn anything you want if you put your mind to it. And, um, so yeah, while I was doing that, I, um, I managed to, uh, take some courses and and get my GED, uh, by the time I would have graduated high school. So as a matter of fact, um, you know, no time was lost and I had some really valuable work experience. Uh, and what year did you get your GED? Oh goodness. Um, I think it was 2004 about 2004, 2004 there about just yeah. so we know what the time
0: yeah. period we're talking about
1: mm-hmm. yeah and so yeah and then um, and then on from there you know and then it, it sort of started to take a little bit of a more traditional track from there I um, I enrolled at community college at Norwalk Community College uh, and I was taking finance courses at night I was still doing the construction during the day um, I had left the heating and air conditioning company and went to work for an electrician um and uh and and I was doing that so I was I was doing my uh construction work during the day and then I take night classes which again was interesting because it placed me there at uh 18 years old I was there with a lot of people who were as well working during the day you know a lot of working parents and them bringing being able to bring their uh their life experience into the classroom just meant to me that I was getting you know sort of a different perspective and actually you know after having worked in construction for a long time uh i could really appreciate somebody wanting to know my opinion on something <laughs> and uh and uh sitting in a cl- nice climate controlled environment was a was a was a pretty attractive yeah, as, proposition as at that point like getting yeah.
2: working from like five thirty to <laughs> eleven thirty, it's it's like you know, I, I i didn't like high school much either but like compared to that like the high school seems like like a, like a dream um but uh, I guess it was it was it just like a process like, uh, you know, you said you, you eventually returned to uh, college and I think you ended up at Northeastern. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So, like, was it a process of, uh, you know, you just needed to sort of go through that life experience to like mature or was it did you did doing those other jobs give you a greater appreciation of like, you know, the quote unquote classroom book learning sort yeah, of environment I, I, I
1: think it's probably a combination of everything and then uh you know like i was saying uh, that guy um you know sort of opening up my eye my eyes mm-hmm. to the world in a sense to sort of and there's been different influential people that have sort of interjected at these critical moments in my life and you look back on it and you think you know wow like but um uh, yeah it's just i think the combination of a genuine curiosity, uh, that, that came into me. Um, who knows what was going on, you know, maturity wise. And, you know, we've all got crazy biology and, um, but it's just the, the right combination of things aligned such that I could succeed now in that environment. There's a little bit more flexibility, a little bit less rigid when you get to college than, than what the high school or, you know, the, the, yeah, the high school systems like. So,
2: and then uh, northeastern university—that's Boston, right? Boston, that's yep. pretty much the Town. college capital of, of you know the world. Uh, what was that like? How did you you know? Yeah. What did you decide to you know study
1: that yep. sort of thing? Yeah. So at Norwalk, I was studying finance, and actually, um, uh, I, I when I first went in there, I, I, I wasn't totally committed to you know going on long term into into getting my bachelor's degree. I, I sort of had a plan where. Um, you know i loved construction and i wanted to learn the business side of it and mm-hmm. um and then come back to it. and the idea was i was going to go into the coast guard i, I wanted to go into the coast guard and be a, a rescue swimmer and then come out of there with some money and start up my own construction company mm-hmm. so that was what i was thinking when i when i enrolled at norwalk and obviously all that's changed but um uh so yeah i was studying finance there because i felt like that was what i needed to do to to be able to get that that business acumen um But I fell in love with it. I really, you know, so, you know, as is life, you know, things unravel before you sometimes. And um, uh, I did really well at school at Norwalk and uh, managed to transfer out into Northeastern where I majored in economics and finance and, or or majored in economics, minor in finance. Um, And I just, you know, I loved economics, excuse me. I loved economics even more uh, than finance because it was sort of like, it's kind of like the philosophy behind why yeah, yeah. we do it's business. Like theory and yeah. apply. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I just, you know, I, I jumped in, uh, you know, both feet. And, um, you know, I was just, I was kind of an, a nerd, actually. Uh, once I got to Northeastern, uh, didn't do much partying at... Uh, oh, come coffee. on. Yeah, yeah. I know, it's lame. But... Um, <laughs> Uh, my idea of, was a, of a good time. So was, you, were, uh, you were meeting was up reading. With,
2: uh, Zuckerberg at yeah. the. Uh, <laughs> that was about the time he was uh, at Harvard, right?
1: Well, that's what was so cool about Boston is that, it, it, in honesty, it really didn't even matter um, what school you were at because if you were really involved in uh, in whatever curriculum you're studying, you have the opportunity to engage uh, with students from all around, and so uh, we would, you know, and we, we would have, uh, we participate in a competition, um, a team competition, and this will really reveal how, how, uh, how much of a nerd I was, but, um, uh, it was, a, it was called the Federal Reserve Challenge, and, um, and so it's a, a group of students who would, uh, all do a sort of a mock deliberation of a Federal Reserve Board of Governors, and, uh, we'd prepare for this thing for six months, uh, researching monetary policy and we'd have to go. And, and that's pre- like the
2: people who raised the interest, the, the base. Yeah. P so, bill, you know, Ben Bernanke rate, yeah. and now, uh, Janet Yellen. Janet Yellen that, and
1: yeah. so, um, and we would actually go and we'd be competing with university teams from around new England. So we had heavy hitters like MIT and Harvard and Yale were all there, BCBU and, uh, and Bentley. Um, and uh it's like the
2: bean pot of uh, economics it is
1: it is and, it, it, and it's you know it's a wonder it was actually a fantastic experience because um there's really nowhere in the classroom where you're going to get into uh a subject like that into that level of detail um and so yeah and we'd go and present um at the the federal reserve in boston uh was where the regional competition would take place mm-hmm. and then all the champions would go on to new york and and present at the new york fed but uh So yeah we did that and then um another thing we did was uh we founded a group of students and i founded a an undergraduate research journal in economics called econ press and at the time um, there really wasn't anything like that i mean there were some research academic journals in economics for masters and phd level uh, writing but uh, nothing really for undergraduate and so You know, writing, you guys are in the journalism field, Uh, you know, having an opportunity to to give students exposure to uh, journalism in an economics format, um, I think was pretty awesome. It still exists today. So uh, yeah, we had we had fun.
2: And then how do you, uh, like, you eventually graduated with a degree in, 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 economics, in economics and finance, and then, uh, you know, where did you go from there initially? Out yeah, out so
1: this was 2010, which was not a particularly good time to graduate uh, you college. looking for a job in finance? <laughs> so a bunch of my friends were all saying, you know, we're, we're going back, to we're getting our master's degree, or we're going and getting our PhD, but, um, you know, it was tough, and, uh, you know, just anybody that's going and it's still tough as a matter of fact now you know I got my younger brothers uh you know who are coming out of college and they're applying for jobs and um you know you just have you really have to commit to it and, and stay confident and um yeah so I can't remember how many applications uh went out and but uh I was interested in getting um you know I still I was was still interested in real estate. And so I still had that in the back of my mind, but I was at this moment in time, I felt like uh, I still wanted to continue to build my toolbox in terms of uh, getting a better understanding of the world of business. Um, And so I was looking for uh, jobs that could build on my uh, analytical uh, background with with economics and finance was the sort of, um, was the dominant you know, at the forefront of that, essentially, even after, um, 2008, um, looking for an opportunity to, to sort of, um, either travel within the United States or abroad. And so, um, I was putting applications out there and, uh, and I ended up going with the, uh, with Citibank. Um, so it was a, uh, it was a grueling, uh, interview process and, um, which involved me actually cause it, the, because the, the application started going out. Um, before I graduated school, I was applying, and um, and I remember uh, when I had uh, was proceeding through the interview process with Citibank. There was a moment where they wanted an in-person interview, and I was there in Boston, and uh, they were in London. And so I actually um, I flew out to London during the course of finals week. <laughs> and so I was I was uh, I was working on my thesis paper on the plane while I was while I was flying over there um but yeah and um you know ended up working with Citibank for for 2 years uh coming out of school
2: and that was in London I
1: London think? yep and, and that's wh- where I, I met my wife and and uh yeah I and, I and i loved it there actually i loved London it was um it was it was an amazing experience um so this the the, the job i got there was called um a, a management analyst job and uh when a company like Citibank recruits uh, for these positions, they go out to an entire region, an entire world, uh, to recruit people. So I was one of, sort of like I think it was like one of 200 analysts um, that was hired within that wave, um, and yeah, so it was it was it was pretty cool to to come in with a sort of if you think of it, they call it like an analyst class. Uh, so coming in with a group of you know, two hundred analysts from around the world who were all pretty happy to be in London and uh, you know excited to get into this. New wor- role. Were
2: you working on like a, a trading floor or like a, yeah, so call, like what well, would describe a day at the, in that <laughs> job, I guess. Yeah,
1: so there was different roles that I did when I was there. Um, I worked with uh, within the operations team, uh, doing sort of um, corporate restructuring within the bank. Um, so looking at different businesses and divisions within the bank. Um, and helping them restructure in a whole bunch of different ways. So that involved, you know, all sorts of financial uh, analysis. How are we marketing? How are we branding ourselves? How are we training our employees? Um, you know, are there areas where we can combine different businesses? Do we want to acquire different businesses uh, outside of the bank? Um, and yeah, that was, that was, that, that was a fun role. And, um, and then uh, I was working on uh, the trading desk for a little while. Uh, so uh, we're doing uh, structured derivatives there. And um, what was nice about the desk, excuse me, <coughs> the desk that I was on was that uh, we were sort of cross asset class and cross region, which um, usually when you're on a trading desk, you specialize in a particular area. You might specialize in stocks and equities or bonds or FX commodities. Or, or you'll specialize in, in a particular area, and um, our desk was sort of uh, a jack of all trades trading desk, um, and so again, it gave me exposure to uh, some really awesome things.
2: And then, it, what, is your wife from the UK? Yeah, or?
1: so she was born in a little uh, a little town um, called Hearst Green, uh, okay. is in southern southern England, and uh, and all her family's still there. But yeah.
2: And did you did you meet like on the job or just like in yeah like in a pub <laughs> at a soccer match?
1: Well, no, we actually uh, met um, uh, on Match.com. Okay. Plug to Match.com. <laughs> um, yeah. So sponsorships are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we were we're one of those uh, those those positive case cases that they could they could uh, put on their website, but uh, did yeah. they? No, oh, okay. I should, yeah. I should try I to say. submit. I could probably, maybe I could do something with that.
2: And <laughs> now are you worked, you were lived there for two years. Did you say two <laughs> years? Or, yep. a did, low, yeah. A little, yeah. Did low. like, you're like, what motivated you to, to move out of London? Cause that's like generally held to be, you know, the most livable city in the world. I mean, expensive, but
1: you yeah. Know. And well, you know, people say that, but, um, you know, it, it is expensive, but comparing, um, so Citibank in London is down in Canary Wharf and, um, which to a lot of londoners and and people who've grown up in England um, was sort of like not the most attractive place to be because it's not old um and so you know I was walking distance to Citibank when I was living there, and you you I couldn't find something in New York City in that proximity to uh like a financial center like that for the mm. price I was paying there but so it was you know sort of um cost of living it wasn't great, but it wasn't awful. Um, why leave? Why leave? Yeah. Um, so, uh, I was I was ready to, to come out of banking essentially. And, um, my entire network of people that I had established in London was all within finance. And, uh, and so I was ready to make a move. Um, and, coming wanting to make a move out of that industry i needed to come back to where my network of, of people were if i was going to be essentially hitting the reset button um yeah wanting to come back and uh and then there was the um you know the process of uh trying to figure out whether uh, my wife tamsin was gonna was gonna join or not and um and so, you know, sort of, were you married at the,
2: did you get married? We like didn't get married London? there. No, okay.
1: yeah, not yet. And, and so that was, um,
2: so it was like a leap of faith, a for leap her of faith.
1: Yeah. And so I, t- I had to try to sell her. I mean, she, uh, she was always, um, she, she always had an affinity before, Never, or? never. Okay. Yeah. Right. So she, she always had an affinity for the United States. We, we do a good job of marketing ourselves to the world. Um, and uh yeah grew up watching friends and all of all of that good stuff and so um but i i really wanted to try to sell her on the united states so we um uh we took a nice road trip over on uh, like the western third of the united states long uh, like four thousand mile road trip and all the beautiful national parks and then i was like okay now we're coming back to connecticut <laughs>
2: <laughs> so just like driving around like you know yeah Grand, Grand um canyon i would imagine Grand, uh,
1: yeah i mean i think we went to nine different national parks we, we were out there for for three weeks it was a, like you know, camping a, and like camping so it was sort of like wow. uh, camping and every once in a while stopping off in a hotel and getting clean and <laughs> enjoying yeah, yeah. the modern modern amenities of life and no, yeah uh, I,
2: I was born in california and every time i go out there it's just you know like just the the geology is so much mm, different than yeah, here the like, scale i, I couldn't yeah. imagine what it you know compared to uh South, South England. Well,
1: England's got its, its own beautiful countryside. And, Mm -hmm. um, I mean, one of my favorite things to do when I was in England was take the train an hour outside of the city and, uh, you'd be in some, you know, just beautiful countryside where you can, and, and England's got these networks of old walking trails that, um, I mean, you can essentially walk the entire country on these old. they're like old, I guess peasant trails is I think what they call them and they've got these old right of ways and they'll cross right through a farmer's plot of land. And, you know, and you, you got to love it, this sort of sense of communal space there that these old right-of-ways have been preserved. And uh, it's just one of the most fantastic ways to be able to just connect with the land. And, um, and yeah, so.
2: And then, I guess, uh, how did you just decide you wanted to relocate to somewhere in, like, the general vicinity of Stamford, somewhere in Connecticut? Like, how did that
1: yeah so um you know again Mm -hmm. most of my moves have been dictated by work Um, and uh, i had an opportunity to join citibank um when when i was moving back over here Uh, but you know wanted to make a a change and so i ended up uh, working with a company uh, called millward brown excuse me and um, they're a uh, marketing brand equity research company and it's kind of Uh, Something that I, I guess, didn't really know existed before I I worked with them. (laughs) Translate that into English. (laughs) So, marketing um, brand equity research. Yeah, yeah. I got marketing. Marketing. Okay, so we'll we'll break it down. Um, If you're a company, my my client was Pepsi when I was there. Um, They're putting out advertising. Uh, They're trying. You know, they've got their own internal marketing team. They're trying to keep track of what kind of effectiveness their marketing is having and how they're positioned within among their competitors um and so you know they might be putting out advertising and we're market testing that advertising determining how it impacts their brand performance overall and uh it's really interesting stuff and, and then, kind of kind of scary <laughs> then,
2: but uh when did when did you uh, how long did you work? you weren't behind like the the kylie jenner uh riot riot police pepsi ad were you you you
1: no no but there was there was some uh there was some funny flops i I can't i don't know if you remember there was like a there was a weird mountain dew ad that went out a couple years ago that that the the aren't they all weird yeah they're
3: all <laughs> what i said aren't they
0: all weird the <laughs> mountain duets? But they had one they, like they, they didn't they kind of try to embrace the uh like stream sports type oh yeah thing but that or? was i
1: mean that's that's a core part of their brand but okay. some guy sort of did something off the cuff and it was like how did that manage to get through all layers of management how did this get signed off and it was like yeah so i don't think, um,
2: yeah there was um, like a trend sort of like crisis like, management uh, yeah, yeah yeah there was like a trend of like you know like guerrilla marketing, I guess, you know, I don't know.
1: That yeah, that's exactly what it was, that. yeah. And so something managed to sort of slip through the cracks and get out there that sort of was not in line. So that I job thought.
0: sounds to me like, just because I have no idea uh, in this world that you know what, what that's like, but mm. it sounds to me like there was that show Mad Men yeah. Right. And all those you were you'd be like a guy behind the scenes. No. So remember dragging in, Don Draper out of right, a bar. That's exactly. right. You'd be, the, yeah. you'd be like so, the ad cop.
1: Yeah. So no there way. was a character in Mad Men. It was the I can't remember her name, but she was a female character, and she did like sort of the quantitative analysis of the ads, and he and he's sort of saying no, you know, it's you gotta be off the cuff and sort of come from the heart or something like that. But so the
2: one that was like there were they were gonna have like a cigarette ad and like she was like cigarette smokers have a death wish that might have been and they do as a (laughs) former cigarette (laughs) smoker i could attest to that yes yeah um so how long were you you were at that company for how long i was there for a year okay and then how
1: and then uh and so that was it i mean uh, even when i came back I, i was sort of questioning was i ready to sort of join up with my father's business and, um, or, and, or start my own business. Um, and so I, at that point I still wasn't really feeling ready yet and it wasn't, didn't feel like I had, had a sort of all of the tools in my box that I wanted to bring with me. And so the marketing, you know, I had the finance, um, I had the construction background and this was uh, putting together a marketing piece of it, which, you know, it's kind of like putting together my, kind of like an MBA, if you will. It was like a, uh, well, sort of like a well-rounded business experience. And, um, <clears throat> and so, yeah, that, that move out of Millward Brown was essentially initiated because I felt like I was ready now to, to join up with the real estate company and and start doing that. Yeah.
2: And then Ansonia, like where, how, yeah, how, so where, where, where was Ansonia a few intermediate, intermediate steps, steps in were between? You, yeah. When at Millward Brown, were you living, where were you living? In I con- was
1: living in Milford at the time. Okay. Yeah. So, and, um, Miller Brown, when I first joined, they were in Fairfield and then they moved to Norwalk and, um, I was taking the train from, from Milford and, uh, yeah. And some of the, a lot of the things I liked about Milford, I, we, we lived right off the town green, which was fantastic. Walked to the train, yeah. um, you know, Archie's and, with him walking. That's dishes. right. All that good stuff. Um, and, uh, yeah, but so after I left, uh, before I came to Ansonia, uh, one of my first projects working with my, you new know, my, d- uh, father was to. Uh, we have a real estate development project um, in vermont um, which is you know and an, an something completely different but uh i did some construction work up there and went up there on a mission uh to we had a spec house that we were working on up there so went up there finished managing construction for that project and and sold that house up there um so we went, i actually lived up in vermont for about a year southern vermont near mount snow and
2: sp- spec house—that's basically a house that a developer builds without a, a buyer ready Correct. to buy yeah. it
1: and then so markets it. Yeah, this is um, the development's called the Peaks. It's uh, it's basically right across from Mount Snow. It's a sort of a luxury ski development community. Um, so uh, yeah,
2: and then uh, again, like Ansonia, where Ansonia? oh does, yeah, uh, so Ansonia. How do, coming back, how do we get
1: how do we get back to Ansonia? So um, continuing Long to work with my Matt father. Snow, yeah. yeah. Um, came back down after, uh, after we had some success over there <clears throat> and, um, uh, working on in, in more New York, uh, projects. Um, and then, um, and Sonia was sort of dictated by what was going on in the real estate market. I mean, uh, what we do in New York is, is great. We, we, uh, we make a lot of money in New York and, uh, and we do well, but, um, uh, Number one is that it's not, it's not necessarily, it didn't feel to me like I was really doing a lot to add value, um, to society, you know, taking sort of luxury condos and making them ultra luxury condos and this kind of thing. Um, and so, you know, the prospect of, of doing development work that was potentially involved in sort of community building, but also, Um, New York real estate was sort of uh, petering out. Um, So this is now sort of 2013, sort of end of 2013. And what had happened is that after 2008 um, housing crash, uh, there was no new development essentially in New York for about four years. And so there was this huge glut of demand. Um, About 2012, a whole bunch of uh, new condos came online um, prices were sort of going crazy. And so as an invest from an investment standpoint, um, uh, you know, it, it just started, the market started to cool off. And, and like you were saying in the beginning, New York city is sort of an asset class by itself. It kind of correlates more with things like the stock market than a sort of a localized real estate market. And so, um, some of the investors we were working with, interested in trying to find development projects that could have uh, better returns essentially Um, and so we started looking outside of New York and I'd sort of call it like sort of greater Metro New York area and um, one of the things that that we were using we had a bunch of parameters that we were looking at in terms of what we felt like was a good place to set up shop and um, all of them were sort of looking off of uh, metro lines, new, uh, train lines coming out of New York city. Um, and looking at all the factors, uh, it, it brought me towards Naugatuck Valley. Um, and so, uh, a lot of people don't realize, um, uh, Naugatuck Valley has some of the highest rental yields, highest cap rates in the country. Um, and, uh, you know, who, who knew kind of thing. Um, growing up even though i grew up in stanford connecticut i really didn't have that much uh interaction with naugatuck valley every once in a while we'd bring our uh, dirt bikes over to beacon falls or our uh, thomaston dam and then we'd uh, we'd get our christmas tree from uh jones tree farm in shelton and make that annual pilgrimage over there but um so i wasn't that familiar with the dynamic here uh so really i was just driven here by what made sense on paper and then it was a matter of coming here, getting acquainted, trying to really understand the dynamic, um, I'm coming to realize that, yeah, there's a lot of potential here. And then, uh, of all the places that I've lived and I've loved to live in and experience firsthand, um, uh, I felt like Ansonia had a lot of the ingredients of the places that I've lived that had been really successful.
2: Like what ingredients <clears throat> are, are those?
1: Yeah. So, um, I mean, so n- number one, I say, is is the train access, right? And trains are, are still relevant. and uh, I think we still have a little bit of a window of time where we can kind of leverage that because uh, I think maybe when autonomous driving vehicles come in, that might sort of erode our current sense of public transportation. But for now, um, having that access, having that rail line that connects us to some of these major economic hubs, Fairfield County, Um, New York City even um, is a big deal and you know again talking about my experience under value and potential and this kind of thing um, our train line is is, uh, you know underserviced underutilized Mm -hmm. Um, I mean I ride the train to New York City my wife uh, Tamsin would ride the train down to Norwalk she works in Norwalk Um, it's you know it's not great but it's there it's hard it's easier to to improve service than it is to lay new rail line um so that's one is the is the rail line and uh two is the walkability i mean um i say this to people and they're kind of like you know sort of laugh a little bit but um ansonia is the most walkable town or city in connecticut and i say that with confidence because um as somebody who's lived um without a car uh in in the past um you know that the one of the hardest things to try to get in, in walking distance is your your grocery store um usually the way our grocery stores are set up and they're you know far off strip plazas that require a vehicle to get to um i mean i'm and maybe and i'm still waiting for somebody to correct me maybe, maybe elm city grocers in new haven is in similar proximity to their train station in downtown but um um, you know, it's pretty rare actually. It's it's pretty rare. So that having if you can go through the list and we've pretty much got every single amenity that you can think of in downtown Ansonia. The only thing that's really missing is sort of a, a good quality inventory of residential housing. Um so so yeah, walkability is a big one and, and, and not just in terms of the downtown, but also um in terms of access to nature. You know, I was talking about how I used to love to take the train out an hour outside of, of, uh, of London and go walk around in countryside there. Well, I mean, we could jump on the train here, go to beacon falls, and that's some of the best hiking in Connecticut over there. And you can literally walk there from, from, from the train stop. Um, or here you can walk from the train station about 20 minutes to Naugatuck state forest. And over there, I mean, you can hunt fish cycle. I mean, where else can where else is that true <laughs> in, in anywhere even uh mm. not just connecticut but uh, so that's a big asset to me and then are you, let me just ask are you are you talking as like a potential investor or
0: someone wanting to lay roots down or, or both
1: both i mean th- so um you know when i would when i when i would uh when i would talk to investors about um, Ansonia who we're unfamiliar with Ansonia. Um, it was the onus was on me to you know sort of paint a picture and, and provide an outlook. Um, you know, these are the these are the sorts of things that I was presenting, and what I would say to them is that even if things don't go well in Ansonia, um, you know the, the 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 yield is already there. So even if things say just as they are, um, it's an attractive place to invest. But uh, you know, there's there is all this upside potential. I mean, I, I think, and that's one of the things that uh, you know I talk to people here, that that have lived here for generations about you know sort of um, my take on these things. You know, and then the other thing I, I would mention is the history. You know, the history of the town and the fact that um, that the area has been economically depressed for for a while now. Um, it's meant that it's missed all of those waves of development, which is kind of It's kind of perfect now because the kinds of structures that are here now are in high demand all of these you know derelict factories that you know if they were down in fairfield county they probably would have been raised by now um and you know to 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 have this inventory of historic buildings here is is another real asset and you know i i think coming as somebody who's new to ansonia and and looking at it from this perspective um you know, I, I think a lot of people don't don't see these don't necessarily see these things as either being unique or being something of of, of value to the outside world, so, sort of. And so, um, yeah, I'd say
0: uh, from what we've experienced, just being reporters here since two thousand nine, there's a sense of anger soared mm. toward a lot of. Uh, yeah what like uh you know it looks yeah. like down and the there's road, a lot yeah, of you know, like and the,
2: this is by no means the, like the consensus or anything but like there you read a lot of like comments being like you know i can't wait to get out of here mm. you know, a lot the, you yeah know. it's it, yeah and, uh, again that's not everybody but you, and you that's see not, a lot of that i don't
1: think that's like unique to ansonia either i mean like ansonia sort of fits like it's a city si- it's in a funny place because it's a city and, and we're actually really dense um I mean, we have three hundred roughly 300 people per square mile here, which places us just behind sort of all the big cities in, in Connecticut, where like, if you go down and you're sort of like, okay, Stanford, Norwalk, Bridgeport, Waterbury, Hartford, we're sort of like right after them. Um, but we're still only you know, six square miles, 20,000 people. Um, so it still has like a little bit of that small town where it's like, you know, I need to get out of here. Um, but it's a it's a real challenge, and like one of the questions I when I ask people, excuse me, <clears throat> is um, if you it's a hypothetical question. If you won a, a housing lottery where you got five five hundred thousand dollars, you had to spend it on a house. You can buy a house or renovate or whatever, but you can go anywhere you want in the country. Uh, would you stay in Ansonia? And you know, a lot of people say no. A lot of people say they they they'd leave, and so you know. Uh, when we look at what we offer as a community or don't offer, you know, sort of the question is, okay, well, why? What you know, what are you getting from those other locations that you're not getting here? And, um, uh, yeah. So, l- me looking at it from the outside, I see all of these assets that are here. It's all to me. It's all the necessary ingredients for a really successful community. But they're all underdeveloped. They're all under They're all under marketed to the extent that it's n- it's it's not. It's not reaching its full potential. Um, you know, to me, one of the things that kind of scares me is every once in a while there's talk about sort of demolition and things like that. I mean, and I've been, you know, from an investment standpoint, I've been in every single one of the factory buildings in the Ansonia Copper and Brass and Feral acreage back there, and some of them are beyond repair. But, um, you know, gosh, it would be such a to me. It would be a tragedy to lose some some of those buildings. And to me, there uh, there's a bunch of buildings back there that are alert. They're worth more alive than dead. Um, and H- you know,
0: have you made any investments in Ansonia from the business perspective? yet? yeah, you-
1: not on a big scale. So um, basically, just playing around at this point. So what does uh, that mean as somewhat adult- yeah. Well, so um, one of the first things that we were interested in was um, actually a building that's come up for requests for proposals. Um, that was essentially my first stop when I got to Ansonia was down in City Hall. And so I'd meet with Sheila O'Malley and I'd meet with John Marini and Dave Cassetti to w- talk what about... What building were you interested in? Uh, the Senior Center buildings, the ATP and Palmer buildings. Gotcha. Yep. Yeah. <clears throat>
0: Which I'd pointed. It's across the street yeah,
1: from
2: yeah. our office. <laughs> and, and <laughs> you <laughs> can't hear <laughs> that. Come I for, that. Come up for a uh, for sale numerous times with yeah uh, so there's yeah. a long legacy there
1: which yeah. you guys have covered pretty well um and so i would meet with them once a month and go and talk to them what do you what's going on in the city what's your outlook um uh you know what do you think's going on here and what are your plans and you know they'd open the doors i'd go and tour around those buildings um had interest uh ultimately what ended up happening there is um uh, and so I, I was I was very interested in doing like a, a large scale loft conversion. We have the capacity to do that. Um, uh, in that particular case, uh, there's some unique circumstances. That building shares a party wall with an adjacent uh, building, which is 501 East Main Street, the process, the Ferrell Process Lab, which was privately held by uh, another developer. So we tried to see if we can do something there, and you know, do a partnership. Um, it it didn't end up happening, and I and, and so we were the ones who actually initiated the this the last RFP on that property, um, but we didn't end up putting in a bid. And what I told the city was that uh, you know we can't do it, and um, and and likely no one no one will be able to do that until this gets developed as one contiguous block because you can't. You can't have people moving into a residence because of the way that's that's situated there. You can't have people moving into a residence and have heavy construction going on or have a, a major, you know, huge hundred thousand square feet of derelict space adjacent to it. And so I said whatever you guys do, like you're gonna have to make this one contiguous development block or somehow figure out a way to synchronize construction between two private owners because it won't happen otherwise. Um, so yeah, I was interested in doing some, some large scale development, but in the last couple of years, I've actually, um, gone back to sort of swinging a hammer. Um, and so my brother and I had an opportunity to, um, to work with my youngest brother and give him some exposure to, uh, construction and real estate. And so bought a couple of, uh, multifamily properties here locally and have just actually been doing the construction work myself. And it's, kind of been a nice change of pace because you're like rehabbing these rehabbing yeah so um uh one on the west side one on garden street and then we did one on the fourth street which we ended up um, selling but um yeah it's just it's just been kind of nice because it's given me an opportunity to come out from behind the desk you know stop doing uh you know or not stop doing but um just split my time a little bit between some of this stuff which is more analytical you know sort of uh and, and and getting in there and rolling up my sleeves which i still enjoy doing um but i'm still i've still had my eye on on doing some bigger bigger development projects here locally but you know then there's the the things that we can talk about politically which have me and a little bit concerned like, <clears throat>
2: probably my fault I just I didn't perhaps I didn't ask about it uh, but like when you were talking about earlier in your life and growing up and stuff you you didn't mention you know politics as like a big thing I were like were you interested in politics or did, was that something that just uh, is, is like a recent uh, you became interested in or
1: uh, well I've always been interested um, not from a sense of I want to be in politics but I've always been interested in politics as an outsider Um and, and more so than politics interested in sort of like what makes a good community. Um, and then, you know, sort of coming up through economics, then being able to sort of look around the country and think analytically, think critically about what's going on economically in the country. and, and I've, I've always, uh, you know, since college, I've, I've always stayed active and been interested in that. Um, I've, I think like most people I've felt like, uh, Politics is a lo- is a lost cause. It's too broken, and it can't sort of um, bring about the change that I feel like the con- the country needs, or you know, the state or the city needs. Um, and yeah, so I've always felt like it, it you could be more effective, and, and particularly my job in real estate. Um, you know, it, it allows for those kinds of community development initiatives. And, and even as we've been just kind of taking a light touch approach here in Ansonia so far from a, from an investment standpoint, um, I haven't, I haven't lost the opportunity to get involved in the community and everywhere where I've bought a property. Um, I've always tried to operate like that here. Um, I've always bought near neighborhood parks. Um, that was the criteria, um, and, uh, and, and and every property where we've purchased, we've always uh, done some park development initiatives and, and sort of neighborhood cleanup initiatives. Um, we started Friends of Gaddison Park in uh, in the North End, which to me, you know, when I first came to to, that was the first house I bought it was on Fourth Street, and um, you know, I sort of sat there one day. I, uh, I, I had been warned that this was there was crime in the area and this kind of thing, and so. One day I just you know, drove over there and, and was sitting out in the park and just sat there for 30 minutes and I saw all this activity there and I thought, you know, this park is the heart of this community and it was, it was suffering that, you know, sort of, uh, you know, the park was in bad shape and, you know, going like fixing broken windows theory. Um, in my mind, you know, this park was attracting crime because it was a lack of attention put on it. Um, and so I knew that, or I felt anyway, that if we could do good things in this park, that, that this park would then bring up the neighborhood because as a broker, um, I know that being in close proximity to a neighborhood park is something that actually adds value. If it's a, if it's a good park, if it's attracting crime, it obviously has the exact opposite effect. Um, so yeah, like, uh, you know, community development to me is, um, or real estate development to me. And and I, and I feel lucky to now have this opportunity. I like to try to buy, you know, the worst house on the street and, and try to utilize that as a way to sort of, uh, make a difference in that neighborhood, you know, not just with that particular structure, but then to say, yeah, you know, get involved in the community. And, um, and so, yeah, uh, I've always felt like I could do, I can, I can help better create the kind of change I want to see around me through my work and outside of politics. And I think uh, it wasn't really until the last year where I've kind of changed my mind on that.
2: And then what brought that about? Uh, yeah.
1: And let me just, I, I just
0: want right. to, like, that's a, a good question. But I, I'm, I'm thinking of if I'm uh, the Valley Indie Facebook reader and I grew up in Ansonia and, and maybe I'm involved in politics or maybe i have they're, they're, they'll. I think the things that they'll say are weaknesses, to because you, you're running for mayor. Mm. I mean, we're an hour into this. You're running. You're running to be mayor of Ansonia, and they'll say, "Well, I mean, Tarek, obviously an intelligent guy, interesting man, uh, but you're not from Ansonia. You didn't grow up in Ansonia. You haven't lived in Ansonia that long. You're not taking the uh, traditional route to get involved in in politics, where you start off." Um, uh, on the ZBA or, or the P and Z or or the youth football club, and you sort of get to know the community that way, and then mm. eventually you rise through the ranks and make a run for mayor, and and that's how you sort of build a coalition.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, I think anybody that's had an, ex- an opportunity to to work with me in the community has seen my dedication to it um, for sure. I mean, in terms of actually you know winning an election, it puts me at a disadvantage being new because I just don't have the, you know, the sheer network of name recognition and, and being involved and having families here for generations, which I think is a wonderful thing about the city. But, um, uh, yeah, but I think, you know, if anything, we've learned in politics in the last year is that uh, people are not necessarily in favor of, uh, you know, politics as usual and the traditional channels and, and this kind of thing. And um, I think, absolutely, I think, you know, to me my mission in this campaign is to be able to uh put out a vision of where what i think the potential of ansonia is and at the same time Sorry. and then just yeah. to interrupt oh, then just yeah. to, i wanted to ask
0: that and then to get ethan's question where oh. he said what what exactly triggered all oh, right the run okay and then yeah we so
1: we'll go back to okay so um yeah i mean the first thing was uh you know 2016 presidential election um weighed on me heavy uh you know as somebody who's always been interested in, in Looking at the economy financially and seeing where things are going, I've been sort of concerned and worried for a while. But uh, uh, I think the presidential election, to me, um, it really it really managed to demonstrate just the extent of the frustration, uh, the the economic frustration in the country, and to me. It was an op it was is an exercise in, in showing the the sheer cost to that that our community bears when there is a lack of investment in the middle class um, and, I, and that's sort of a an obscure statement but I mean, what I mean is we're facing a whole bunch of challenges, whether it's global globalization and the competition that brings, whether it's machine automation and the impact that that has on employment. Um, to me, when people say you know, they want to make America great again, I think the majority of them are in a position where they've got, you know, two parents working often more than 40 hours a week. Uh, they're in debt up to their eyes and they're trying to managed to achieve what in 1950, a single non-college educated working class person could achieve without any debt whatsoever. And so I think for the majority of people, when they say make America great again, that's what they're talking about. They're saying, you know, this is what's going on here. I don't feel, you know, we're, we're heading down this path where we don't feel like we're getting ahead. And um, and there's a bunch of big sort of complex philosophical structural things that are happening in our economy that most people feel like they have very little control over or ability to respond to. And, um, and I think the, that, that sort of desperation has meant that we've looked for sort of superhero characters in, um, in our politics that can kind of come in and, and change everything. But in my mind... Um, you know, these, this, these, these circumstances didn't get created in a matter of a year or two years or five years. I mean, these are things that have been happening 30 years in the making. It's going to take a long time and a lot of genuine work to think about how we reprioritize our economy toward building community. Um, and, to me, that happens at the local level. That happens at the city level. We're not going to see it coming out of D.C. We need people in city hall that are that have the vision to be able to say, "Where does our city fit in within the context of of the economy as a whole, within the within the world? How can a small city like Ansonia be competitive um, within that landscape?" And I believe that we can. But um, it's not going to come from business as usual. It's not going to come from even the sort of the traditional ideas of economic development through sort of improving, you know, the facades of downtown. We need major investments in the things that can make the population and residents competitive. I mean, we need training opportunities for young kids. I mean, you talk about the skills gap, right? Um, you know there, there are positions within companies, thousands, you know, locally here at Pratt and Whitney, um, you know, and they're saying we can't, f- we've got thousands of positions that we can't fill because we don't have the, 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 pool of talent with the skills that are needed to fill these positions. Well, what are we doing? <laughs> you know, where, uh, where's the investment in these training programs? And, um, isn't that a question for state government or federal,
0: or, or actually government at a higher level than, than than what you can do in city hall?
1: Yes, but it takes an, it takes somebody in city hall to to go after that grant, you know. And 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 one thing I'll give uh, definitely give credit to for this administration has been very active in, in seeking out big grants, but it, towards what, you know? It can't just be a, a, a community is more than just buildings, and that's coming from a real estate developer. <laughs> okay, so. You know, what? going back to that question, you know, if you can move anywhere in the country and money wasn't an issue, would you stay here? Um, What are those things that we need to invest in as a community so that the next business or resident is looking at Ansonia and saying, this is our top choice destination. We want to be here. It's not just because it's an affordable place or it's not just because it's, you know, the tax rate or whatever it is. Um, We're moving here because we think that this is the most attractive place to do business. We like this, our employees like to live here and we have access to, um, you know, competitive talent that's here. Um, I think traditionally we've said, yeah, like uh, that's that's a role that needs to be filled by the federal government or state government. Um, You know, to me, we need, this city, this country is made up of towns and cities just like this one. And to me, you know, one of the reasons – uh, that I'm getting involved in politics is because I'm looking out in the country I see I see this kind of desperation and I say uh, you know if a t- if a city like Ansonia can't compete then we're in trouble because I'm not I'm not optimistic about a scenario where this city this country becomes a nation of, of vibrant city-states and vast, swaths of economic desert in between. I mean, when you look at how where the job growth is happening, where the incomes are rising, um, where the businesses are being started, I mean, GE and Aetna, you know, have left left or leaving Connecticut. Um, you know, where are they going? They're not going to low-cost destinations. The, you know, is looking at going to New York. It's one of the most highest cost of places to do business. GE is going to Boston again. You know, high cost a place to do business. Why? You know, so I'm not ready yet to throw in the towel on on towns and cities like like Ansonia because to me, uh, if if cities like ours can't compete and can't con- succeed, if the, if we're not able to have the next startup company happen here, then I'm not optimistic about the country and I'm not ready to throw in the towel yet. Now, isn't isn't Mayor Cassetti's administration, and I mean, we're
0: we're an hour and eleven into this, <laughs> so, so, so nobody's listening. No, well, <laughs> I think been, I hope people uh, have listened, I, but just to, just to give you guys a sense of the yeah. time, because mm-hmm. I said in the beginning, well, we won't <clears> get incredibly political, but we've talked about your background and, and who you are, because I think that's important for people to know uh, how you arrived in Ansonia, and you've talked about what's motivated you to run. Uh, but I'm thinking, isn't Mayor Cassetti and Sheila O'Malley and John Marini and the Republicans on the board of Alderman, aren't they setting up uh, Ansonia towards some of the things you're you're mentioning? I mean, he, they have a plan for downtown Ansonia recharged. Uh, they, we've had uh, some private investment by Jerry Noserino and his business partner specifically. Farrell's uh, is still here. It's still here. Mm-hmm. Uh, nobody ever thought uh, that would happen. Because, I mean, I'm, I'm just thinking back to when we first said, hey, Tarek Raslin is, is running for <laughs> office. Somebody said, well, he's just a Raslin. Things are good the way we are. There was right, right. visceral, yeah. no way, man. Now's not the time. Yeah, well, uh, that, we're and doing that, all right. We yeah,
1: got- no, and and, um, and I think that's the, you know, that's the challenge is that, um, you know, and, and I think that anybody that's looked at Main, Main Street in Ansonia can see that, uh, you know, commercial vacancy has improved. That's a good thing. It's a good thing that, that Farrell is still here. Um, you know, they're not employing the 4,000 people that they used to, they're employing, uh, you know, a hundred people. But, um, and, and the, and the other question is, you know, how many of those people are actually from Ansonia and, um, it's still good. It's good from a property tax base, but we, I mean, it took $3 million to, you know, of state and federal money to keep feral And, um, and, you know, I think that, from a, and, and then from a tax perspective, you say, like, you know, is this actually helping the city financially in terms of our budget? You've got, you know, sort of a 10-year tax abatement program in place there. And so one of the things that uh, I think a lot of people don't realize is uh, Ansonia is in a very difficult financial position right now. And uh, the city in the last reported year, 2016, uh, operated a $3.2 million budget deficit and um you know at the at that rate the city would deplete its savings its reserve fund in three years that's urgent that's an urgent matter and um you know there there, i I would
2: say and when you say budget deficit what you're is you're (coughs) saying that like they borrowed money from the The savings they they counted the money from uh the fund balance as revenue essentially is that what you're saying yeah
1: so um you know the the city has like anybody. You know if you if you uh, if you were to look at your own personal finances, um, you know in any given month you take in you know X amount of money, um, and you spend so much. You know most months you hope you've got some left over in the checking account and you're building funds. Well, uh, you know in the last reported financial year ending June uh, 2016, um, the city spent 3.2 million dollars more than it took in. Um, that's a function of the fact that revenues for the city have gone down over the last three years, which is, um, you know, a function of the reduction in the tax rate and, uh, spending has gone up, uh, $5 million. Our annual budget has gone up $5 million in in that last year. And, um, you know, it's totally unsustainable and, uh, that can have, you know, and, and as an investor, I look at that and I say, that's really got me worried. Um, that's not a small thing that's not staying you know So I, in the beginning when i was saying you know as an investor you can do well in ansonia uh even if good things don't you know even if these this all this positive potential doesn't come into fruition um you know even if things just stay the same this is not staying the same this is on the verge of financial catastrophe um and that's not speaking in hyperbole this these are these are big numbers um and these could result in, in a relatively large increase in the mill rate if we don't get our act together. And and it's important for people to understand the magnitude of this. So when we talk about, uh, you know, $5 million increase in budget spending, um, what would it take in, in and new real estate development to try to accommodate that and actually keep the tax rate stable? Um m- every million dollars in new development equates to $37,000 in new tax revenue. Okay, so, you know, the city's saying, telling us that, okay, well, we've grown the grand list by $8 million, well, do the math. You know, that's only, you know, ballpark of like 250, $260,000 in new tax revenue, but meanwhile, we've increased spending by 5 million. Okay, well, what would it take to get to 5 million to try to keep that tax rate stable? And, you know, one of our biggest taxpayers in Ansonia is Big Y Plaza. Um, They're assessed, you know, somewhere like eight and a half, nine million dollars. They pay roughly $250,000 in taxes per year. It would take 14 Big Y plazas (laughs) every three years to be able to sustainably keep the tax rate stable. And so we're operating under this sort of fallacy that, uh, or this notion that if, you know, maybe if we just keep... I mean, if we just try to sort of symbolically lower the tax rate, that it might spur this economic development, and and it might sort of allow us to do what Shelton did with their tax, you know, and, and manage to keep their tax rate so low, you can only fit two and a half big wide plazas in Ansonia all of Ansonia copper and brass facility. So, you know, it doesn't add up. And and and, and, and at that point, you say, okay, well, what is it that we need to do to be able to to stabilize the mill rate, what would it take to, to actually stabilize the mill rate? And you say you've got to bring the whole city up. You know, you got to bring property values up, and that's something. You know, real estate values. Medium. Uh, the average sales price for a house in Ansonia has been flat essentially for the last ten years. Um, that's you know, that's unsustainable. And so at that point, you say you go back to that question. You know, if you if money was not an issue and you could live anywhere you want, would you stay in Ansonia? And until the majority of people say yes to that question and are willing to dump that extra $100,000 in savings into their homes and improve the housing inventory, and until we see investments into things like education, investments into things like the job training programs that I think are essential, um, if we want to remain relevant economically within the context of the world, we're going to be in big trouble, and so when people say to me, you know, and things are fine because commercial vacancy has improved a little bit in downtown, that's good. It, we need that. We need that. That, but we need a lot more than that if we're going to want to, if we're going to want to survive. Even it's not even just to say, you know, if we're going to sort of, you know, be okay or, or if we're going to do well. It's this is a matter of you know, this is a matter of survival.
2: Are we? Do we? Are we like blown through the? time. I mean, or, maybe one more question. I, yeah, think, I mean, yeah, like just the, I mean it's
0: an hour and nineteen, but there was also the beginning yeah, yeah. there. I, I don't know how long I had recording yeah, yeah. When I, was I mean just like everything. just the
2: thing that leaps out at me you you know you talk about the the borrowing from the fund balance and everything hmm. and like there, that's something that we've reported on every year we report on the budget when you know the past couple budgets a they first come out that's the of thing i look for and little bit of of that but i of mean, that it clearly hasn't really resonated that i've seen um in terms yeah. of just like comments and stuff
0: yeah and we look at what people read they're gonna i mean we'll get uh, you know five thousand reads on our on a new business like a restaurant mm. opening mm. so uh, but a attention. budget story 100 yeah, yeah. right and then, and then and like, know, and the, then, like
2: the, the the mayor's own budget consultant the last budget cycle i remember <laughs> him saying like this is dangerous this you is shouldn't dangerous. do yeah. this that was literally and, like quote. it didn't yeah. It, it hasn't really resonated yeah so so how, do you, how do you get that it, yeah. it won't resonate until the next budget year if there's a massive tax increase so how do you get that to resonate with people by november
1: yeah i mean it's a matter of uh if there's anything that uh that i would say if i were to distill my skill set down into a single sentence it's taking complex things and presenting them simply and Uh, you know, city finances can be complex. And so being able to present that in a way that uh, people can digest easily and translate that into how it can personally affect them in their wallet um, and without any obfuscation of, is this real or is this not? I mean, we need to have an honest conversation with the numbers, you know, out in front of us. and, and, And people should realize, I mean, this is they were talking about the future of the city and talking about their future economic well-being and, and directly their own bank account.
2: Okay, uh, thank you so much for coming in. I'm, I'm sure we'll be speaking to you a lot more between now and November. But like, yeah, as Eugene said, as uh, as we said at the start, you know, we, we wanted to uh, sort of mostly get a get a, a picture of you know how you, how you came here and, and why you're running. So uh, thanks again for uh, for joining us.
1: Thank you so much. Appreciate it.
2: Awesome. And this is Ethan Fry for Valley Naval Gazing on valleyindy.org.
3: For hundreds of years, we brought you the news. For the info, we gave you the clues. Owners' profits were always high. Sky- Our lives. Post-literation, critical reading, dumbed-down nation, signs have been reading TV sucking ideas from our head, public discourse just about dead. We'll ride the dinosaur, yeah, ride the dinosaur. Our readers are in the open each day, yeah. Day, yay, not even hookers give it away, yay! Advertising, metastasizing, Neutrum shrinking, constant attrition, we'll ride the dinosaur, we'll ride the dinosaur.